Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing A Monster Calls. A Monster Calls was written by Patrick Ness and illustrated by Jim Kay, published in 2011. And the film adaptation, which came out in 2017, was directed by J.A. Bayona, and the screenplay was also by Patrick Ness. So, yeah, this is a really interesting book because... It's not a graphic novel, but it is an illustrated book, and the mm-hmm. illustrations kind of work together in that way. And also, um, the book idea actually came from an author, uh, a different author. So um, this well-known children's author from England, uh, Siobhan Dowd, wrote um, a bunch of other award-winning books, and then she had an idea to write a fifth book, and then she died of cancer. Um, and then her publisher actually contacted Patrick Ness, Um, about possibly using that idea and writing a story. And so he kind of used the, I would say, the kernel of the story and kind of developed it into his own book. But she is credited in the book and, like, on the front cover and everything um, as kind of having the spark for this book. Yeah, and he he has a great... um early uh, author's note at the beginning of the book kind of explaining this and saying this isn't my total original idea Uh but the kernel was there and I expanded upon it and it it really uh, kind of pulled me in early on just to the book based on that alone I thought was very interesting. Yeah it's an interesting idea because you know, authorship and someone taking over someone's work after they died yeah. is sometimes, like, controversial. It's very, very, very tricky. But for this, it, it didn't really seem like the um, previous author had written much about it, probably just the beginning stages of it. And then um, Patrick Ness sort of took over and, and created something completely new, I think. Um, so, yeah, he's giving credit to her, but I think it, it's definitely more his creation. Um, but it's sort of interesting to see two authors work together yeah yeah in that capacity yeah yeah so the uh the illustrations though in the book are very important in a lot of ways mm-hmm. but very very beautiful if you've uh, seen the, at least the cover of the book yeah. you can tell the type of illustration to be is. totally honest i was a little skeptical going mm-hmm. into the book about the illustrations because there's a style to it that is uh very much it's stark black and white there's no color in it and a lot of kind of ink uh, yeah style you know like loose running ink kind of a look and a blotchiness to it and i wasn't sure if it was going to be kind of a gimmicky look that mm-hmm. was more about the idea of the concept than actually it looking good Uh, But going through the book, it was so beautiful. Just you'd be reading and then you'd turn the page to a full spread uh, uh, illustration of the monster or something as simple as like a door with a light underneath it. Mm -hmm. And the textures and stuff that uh, the illustrator worked into it. It's really just beautiful. It's it's really, really uh, compelling illustrations. Yeah, it. I was telling Ian, I was like, I'm so bad at describing art because I just don't have that uh, <laughs> language and vocabulary to describe that. So I was like, yeah, it's like dark, almost like gothic-y and also like kind of like pine needles, prickly. <laughs> it's like prickly. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the illustrator of this book is the one who is doing these new illustrated Harry Potter books. Oh, yeah. That are coming out. And. I couldn't find any quotes about him talking about uh, 
a monster calls, but I did I do remember seeing a video of him talking about his illustrations in the Harry Potter books, mm-hmm. and he's very thoughtful and so talented. And he was talking about an illustration he did of um a hippogriff on Hagrid's bed in the Harry Potter books, and saying like, you know, Hagrid's bed is really big, but also the hippogriff is too. So mm-hmm. how do you uh, convey the scale there that they're both big things? And so he talked about adding in details of like a chicken here and things there to kind of like show the mass of everything and Mm -hmm. just hearing him talk about it and discuss it you could tell he was extremely talented and just thoughtful about what he was uh, creating yeah and apparently from what I read um when they were looking for illustrators for this book um he only he only had like a day or two to put together like a sample and so he did something that was sort of he didn't have as much time as he would have liked but he said that kind of worked out because the style is like almost not unfinished but it has that kind of like quick feel to it Mm -hmm. even though it probably took a long time to do um but yeah the scene where the monster leans against uh connor's house was actually the the scene that he submitted and it wasn't changed at all it just went right into the book wow yeah yeah uh beautiful illustrations that really like we said, it's not a graphic novel mm-hmm. uh, per, per se. Like, I don't know where that line is exactly, but it definitely heightens the story and just really uh, adds a lot to it. Yeah. So let's talk about the story. Yeah. Let's, what's going on let's with get this? get into the plot. Yeah. Who is this monster? <laughs> why, why is he calling? Why is he calling? <laughs> <laughs> what is he saying? <laughs> <laughs> so the, the story focuses on... Connor O'Malley, mm-hmm. who is a 12-year-old, or I think in the book 13-year-old, who lives with his mom. His dad has moved away to mm-hmm. America. And from, from the beginning of the story, his mom it has cancer yeah. and is in the middle of treating it. And Connor has to... He, he's kind of assuming a lot of responsibility for a kid his age. Yeah. Kind of taking care of a lot of things around the house and dealing with this really sad and kind of complicated situation of his mother being sick. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just the two of them, you know, his, his grandma's around. She she kind of steps in and uh, helps them a lot, but you can tell it's just been the two of them for a long time. You know, his dad moved out and to America and has a new wife and family. And so, I mean, not like it wouldn't be hard no matter what for your mother to be sick, but especially I think in this situation when they're so close, it's yeah. just really tough on him. Yeah. And he has no siblings either. No, it's he's just alone. him mm-hmm. and his mom and his grandma who he kind of really doesn't like, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the book starts out with him waking up from a nightmare and it's not just any nightmare. It's the nightmare. So he's been having the same nightmare over and over and they don't really tell you what's going on in the nightmare in the book, but um, in the movie it does show you, like, it actually shows you what's happening. And you see um, basically the ground caving in and um, creating, like, this sinkhole, and Connor's mom is falling, and Connor is trying to hold on to her. And, and the wind is whipping around, you know, it's this crazy scene, and he wakes up every time, and he's just, like, screaming and crying, and it's awful. It's, like, the worst. Yeah. Yeah, something I really like about this story as a coming-of-age tale is the age that Connor is. Yeah. Because he's uh, you know, 12 or 13, and uh, he's 
kind of cons- in the book he's thinking back about like he doesn't like having nightmares and he says it's kind of like he doesn't want to seem like a baby. Yeah. And you know having too old to be like I had a nightmare mom. You yeah, know, and- yeah. And uh, the movie actually adds a quote that I don't think is in the book where the monster is narrating mm-hmm. at the very beginning and he says he's too old to be a kid, too young to be a man. Yeah. And I, I really love that because I think this is such a crucial age, yet most coming-of-age stories are about teenagers and, like, kind of this next step up at this older age. Yeah. But I think kind of this cusp of, like, puberty is, like, almost way more uh, interesting and important. Yeah, especially when you have, you know, an illness or, like, your mother is, is si- like, sick, you know, and very mm-hmm. ill. Um, the The youngness in him comes out because he just wants you know, to protect his mother and for her to be okay. And like, that's really tough for him to deal with. But, um, it's around this time that the monster comes Yes, and the monster is really cool. It's a tree (laughs) monster. So in like way beyond Connor's backyard, there's like this big old yew tree that's on this hill. In a cemetery. In a cemetery by a church. The imagery is, is gorgeous. And it comes to life as this giant tree monster and basically comes to Connor's uh, bedroom window and is like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I love in the book, he shows up and is kind of freaking, trying to freak Connor out. Yeah. And Connor in the book, because he's like, oh yeah, I just had this, I had a real nightmare yeah. and you're not that scary. <laughs> and the monster's almost offended. He's like, excuse me? Like, you're not afraid of me? <laughs> and so he, he and Connor talk and the monster like breaks through his wall and Mm -hmm. picks him up by the hand and he tells Connor I will return you uh, three more times to tell you three tales and then after I tell you my three tales you'll tell me a story he's like your truth and Connor's like uh what do you mean my truth yeah (laughs) yeah and the monster's like you know the the nightmare that you have you'll tell me the truth about the nightmare and he's like Okay, no. <laughs> but then he ends up waking up and he's like, oh, it was all a dream. It was all a dream. Um, but then when he uh, puts his feet, gets out of bed, he notices like a ton of pine needles or yew tree needles everywhere on the floor. So it's just this like breaking the <laughs> then, barrier between yeah. dream and reality. And then he's like, <laughs> like sweeping, sweeping them sweeping. up. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing to see here. It's <laughs> like stuffing them in the garbage can, like hoping they'll go away. Uh, yeah, oh, and so uh, the tree is voiced by Liam Neeson. Which is perfect. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. His voice is amazing yeah. as a tree. He's, there's a lot of effects, I think, to it. So yeah. it's not quite as identifiable as, like, his, some of his other voice roles. Yeah. But, yeah, he's he, yeah, he's Liam Neeson. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, his, his just voice, it's so perfect for that, like, deep kind of uh, dramatic yeah, tree, yeah. You know? Kind of intimidating in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, but in uh, in some of the quieter moments, it's great. He's he's perfect. Mm-hmm. So uh, Connor, you know, has this experience, and obviously his his wall wasn't smashed in when he wakes up. Nothing like that. Just the pine needle. So he's kind of like, was this a dream? Probably. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna live my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kind of pretend this was this didn't happen. Yeah. So he goes to school. Mm-hmm. And things are pretty complicated for him at school. And you find out that um, it's this interesting situation where his mom got sick and then only a few people knew about it. And then suddenly 
everyone kind of knew at school and it changes things for Connor. People stop talking to him because it's like this big, almost not like a secret, but this big, like too heavy of a thing for maybe kids to deal with. And so they just avoid Connor and won't talk to him anymore. Yeah. And so he starts to feel like increasingly isolated at school. And the teachers treat him differently too. Yeah. He kind of gets away with like not doing anything and teachers are always like, if you need to talk, like, tell me. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, I think that's increasing the isolation for him. Yeah. Because he's no longer just like a normal student. Mm-hmm. He's kind of treated differently. And I think that uh, singles him out too, like among the students. You yeah. Know, he becomes kind of a, a focal point. Yeah. And so the other students don't really know how to react because, you know, the teachers are treating him differently and he doesn't want to talk about stuff and they might be afraid to like bring things up that would make him upset. So they just don't talk to him in general. And so Connor's alone. And he ends up in this kind of weird bullying situation where there's this group of bullies and the main uh, bully, Harry, kind of singles Connor out and will just like hit him or push him around and stuff. And Connor kind of seems like he's just letting it happen. Like he doesn't want to talk about it to anyone. And the teacher comes up at one point to be like what's going on here and he's like it's fine nothing you know yeah uh oh my god he's so i thought the actor who played him in the movie did such a good job yeah because he's so creepy and weird in the book Mm -hmm. and he carried that perfectly into the the movie the bully yeah yeah Mm -hmm. he's uh, he is so kind of hyper focused on uh connor yeah in a weird way like mm-hmm. he's constantly like looking at him in class yeah and then when they're bullying him uh harry turns to his the two kids who his help cronies. him his cronies <laughs> uh and he's like don't touch him he's like connor and i have an agreement i'm the only one who touches him yeah it's like what 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 are you talking about? it's like more than just like beating up on some kid you know he's almost singling him out for some reason he's like he senses weakness in him i don't know he's kind of a sociopath in a lot of ways yeah it's really weird yeah he's like very he's very smart and knows how to play the teachers and but i like the teachers kind of see through him yeah like they can't necessarily call him out on it but they see through this like facade of him Mm -hmm. being a perfect kind of kid you know yeah but yeah i think the actor who plays harry's very good yeah it's good all those scenes with him are always really creepy and <laughs> uncomfortable should we talk about one of the biggest changes from the book to the movie in lily lily yeah so um in the book connor's best friend lily um who they've known each other since they were kids and their moms are actually good friends she's the one that kind of spreads the word about connor's mom having cancer because her mom found out because Connor's mom and her mom are best friends. And then Lily ends up telling a few people. And of course it gets spread to everyone. And Connor sort of blames her now for everything that's happened to him at school. And basically the, the hell that he's found himself in, in school. Um, And so he won't talk to her and she, you can tell she cares about Connor and she's trying to make amends with him, but she just doesn't really know how to reach him, especially because the more he's isolated, the more barriers he's sort of put up around himself as well. Yeah, it's such a sad uh, setup because from the beginning, he's angry and upset with her and she's trying to make it better, but doesn't know how. Yeah. And it really kind of focuses on that that isolation that he's experiencing Mm -hmm. and how he really doesn't have anyone, even the one person who he should have been able to talk to, he should have been able to talk to and be friends with, uh, he's shut her out as well. Yeah. So it's kind of a, 
it's not just the situation he's in. He's also kind of perpetuating it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but she's not in the movie at all. No, they cut her out, and I guess that makes sense. But I think it does, too, uh, especially just because the movie, if you, you want to convey that isolation, and yeah. I think having someone who's reaching out to him in the movie would have made it seem... He, like he was less isolated? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. in the book, you get that perspective from him directly about what happened, and yeah. it does add to that, but I think for the movie, it made sense to leave her out mm-hmm. to kind of... Um, convey that further. Yeah. Um, Around this time is when the monster comes back again. And he's like, I'm here to tell you the first tale. And Connor is like, I don't really care. Like, I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) And then he's like, oh, but it's kind of interesting. And he kind of gives him like a a little summary. And he's like, fine, tell me the story. Like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, it's about dragons and witches and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he proceeds to tell him the story. And I love, you know, the book is great because you just get the mostly the, the, the monster talking and telling him the story. And Connor will occasionally interject. Yeah. You know, as he starts talking about, like, this kingdom and kings and, like, witches, he's like, this is sounding a little fairy tale like <laughs> <laughs> The tree's just like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling a story. <laughs> Uh, the movie, though, we get these beautiful animated sequences as the yeah, story's being told. Yeah, like a told. watercolor sequence. Yeah, it, it's told. Uh, it, it's kind of this combination of like CGI, or I'm sorry, 3D animation that feels 2D because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of flatness to it, and there's texture and like kind of a watercolor uh, style to a lot of the things. Yeah, it's really beautiful. If I, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the last, no, second to last Harry Potter, mm-hmm. where Hermione tells the story of the oh yeah the uh, Deathly Hallows. The Deathly Hallows. It's yeah. a lot like that. Mm-hmm. The, the the style of illustration, but more colorful, and I think even better in this. Yeah, it's really cool. I I love the parts. I was like, ooh, here here are the parts where they do the tail. It's just <laughs> like so cool to see that um, illustrated because there are illustrations in the book that are kind of similar, but there's a lot there's actual color in uh, the movie version which is cool to see it was a good balance of paying homage to the illustrations of the book while keeping it different and mm-hmm. visually interesting yeah so the stories that the monster tells Connor are really interesting and we don't really want to get into the specifics and give you like the point by point details yeah. because they're kind of complicated and interesting but basically the first tale is sort of about this kingdom and then there's this prince and like this kind of wicked queen that he's trying to overthrow and you think the story is going one way and you know the people sort of rise up against the queen um but then the monster uh comes alive he turns from tree to monster and he grabs the queen and then he ends up saving her instead of uh killing her or punishing her and you know connor's confused because he's like you know i thought she was the bad guy she was the evil queen like why did you save her and then the monster is sort of like well because she didn't actually you know do this terrible deed she she could have been evil but like she wasn't in this instance yeah it's it's split into two parts kind of in the book and the movie Mm -hmm. where he kind of gets to what seems like the end of the story yeah and and each story by the way is the tree saying is a time he came uh alive again he walked yeah he went walking so he kind Mm -hmm. of appears in each story as himself uh so 
you know, Con- he he talks about uh, serving up justice uh, uh, in regards to this queen. Yeah. And Connor's like, well, that's good. The queen should have, you should have killed her or whatever you did. Yeah. And he's like, uh, hold on, excuse me, I'm not done mm-hmm. because I saved the queen from yeah. being killed and I took her to safety. And and Connor's like, but you know what? She she killed she killed that person, right? Mm-hmm. And he finds out that the prince was actually bad, and the queen wasn't didn't do that thing. Yeah, it, it just it, it's a kind of a complicated situation. And Connor's like, well, who's the good guy? Yeah. And Tree's like, well, they're not really. There isn't really a good guy or a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's kind of how People life are. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, we rarely have someone who's like all good or all bad. Most people are a complicated uh, amalgamation of all things. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where that story leads to is that kind of realization. Yeah. And Connor, of course, is like, I can't believe this. Like, why would you tell me a story like this? You know? <laughs> and I think the monster's point is just like, life is complicated and we are not always as good as we want to be or could be and like everyone is just human you know yeah um so that's sort of interesting uh to see it that way i like the fact that the connection to like the the story's connection to connor yeah is vague in some ways very vague uh there's, there's not like a straight lesson. No, no. There's yeah. definitely there's definite definite connections and things to think about, but it's not just a straight line. And in fact, at one point, Connor says, "Oh, so are you telling me this story because of this?" Mm-hmm. And the monster just like laughs in his face. Like, of course, it's not that simple. Like, you know, this is just a true story that happened to me, and almost yeah. like whatever you want to take from it is yours. And the, and they talk about a lot how stories are wild creatures. And sort of can change you in different ways. And they're not supposed to be these tidy, orderly, mm-hmm. structured things. You know, they they can change you. They can change the world. And so I really like that aspect of it, that stories are important. One little thing about the story that I loved was um, this prince who was actually a terrible person or did this terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor asks what happened to him. And he's like, oh, he took the throne and lived a happy age and like ruled the kingdom well until he died. Yeah. Uh, later, uh, talking about the bully, one of the teachers who is kind of talking to Connor mm-hmm. and about Harry, the bully, she's like, I know he's not always as nice as he comes across. And she makes a comment about he'll probably be prime minister one day. <laughs> so that's like a really good connection to like that story that he heard about this terrible prince that becomes yeah. king, you know, like, and that's very possible that this almost sociopathic kid child could grow up to be someone important like that. Yeah. You know? So the story, I think. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't catch that. Yeah. They kind of put clever little, uh, I think, nods to the stories in the larger story of Connor. Mm-hmm. And around this time in the story, uh, Connor's mom starts feeling worse and worse and kind of not getting better. And so Connor goes to stay with his grandma while his mom goes back to the hospital. And we talked a little bit about his grandma, but um, she, Connor describes her as not like most grandmas. <laughs> <laughs> like she, you know, still has her job and she's, you know, a single woman and it's just very like in control of her own life and destiny. And this is how things are strong willed. And she's played brilliantly by Sigourney Weaver in the movie. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver was perfect. Cause I think reading about the grandma, you get a pretty good idea of what she's like, but it's also kind of a different, it's such a different kind of 
character in yeah. a lot of ways, especially for a grandmother character that you think you get it, but you're almost not quite sure in some ways. But seeing her embodied in Sigourney Weaver, I think, is really effective. Yeah. You know, in terms of her still having her job and being kind Steely of... Steely and... Yeah, and kind of curt and a little bit mean, uh, probably not intentionally, but, you know, she's not super warm. There's just kind of a lot of things going on with her. Yeah. And I loved her character in the book, mm-hmm. but seeing it performed in Sigourney Weaver was awesome. Yeah. And she and Connor don't get along because, you know, Connor doesn't... First of all, doesn't want to leave his home and live with his grandma. And Connor's grandma is used to having things a certain way, her way all the time. And of course, having a 12, 13-year-old boy in her house is not exactly ideal for her either. So they're both sort of like in this situation and not both too happy about it, you (laughs) know, but kind of have to do it. And Connor hates her house because, you know, he can't touch anything and everything is put there for looks and there's no like comfy seats and she's got a sitting fancy. room yeah a sitting room that isn't for sitting basically <laughs> uh, with like a really old fancy clock yeah and there's a funny scene in the movie where connor's kind of waiting in the house and he just kind of like goes and looks at everything in her house and sort of moves things around and like touches everything because he to knows he's fuck not with supposed her a little to. bit just yeah. to just swap two things <laughs> I like that montage a lot. And uh, so when Connor goes to stay with his grandma, um, his mom also tells him that his dad is flying in from America to visit. And Connor's dad um, moved to America when I think Connor was like five or six, really young, and kind of has this new life now. He has a wife. He has uh, a baby And I think Connor resents him a lot for that, for getting to sort of start his life over and have like a different family. And then maybe resents the fact that his mom is the one that's sick and maybe he would prefer if his dad was the one that was sick. You know, like his mom is so precious to him and to have her in this condition where his dad, you know, is so far away and almost doesn't seem to care as much for him, is perfectly healthy and gets to live this like happy life. Uh, I... Uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about something I noticed or was thinking about, and mm-hmm. I just wanted your perspective on this. Yeah. Reading the book, I felt like uh, there was a lot about Connor and his name and how people address him in the book that was interesting. Hmm. So you have his grandma who yeah. always refers to him just as like, hey, you, or mm-hmm. I-, I forget specifically, but she kind of doesn't call him grandson or Connor or anything like that. She's always like the boy. Yeah. Or, and then when his dad shows up to visit, he starts referring to him by these kind of American terms like champ, kiddo, sport, sport, <laughs> you know, and, and Connor kind of hates that. Yeah. Um, but it seems like the people who acknowledge him the most, uh, like the tree who always calls him Connor O'Malley mm-hmm. or even the bully calls him Connor and Connor O'Malley a lot. Yeah. And I, I just kind of felt like, there was a connection being made between people who addressed him by his name and kind of acknowledging him versus people who didn't. Mm, That's interesting. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I noticed it specifically because the one chapter is called, I think, Champ. Yeah. Sport. I I forget one of the terms his dad (laughs) used. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just started thinking about how a lot of characters don't refer to Connor by his name. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's sometimes easy to do for a kid. Yeah. You know, you sort of are like, you don't take them that seriously. And his grandma and his dad maybe 
are focused on other things and don't see him as his own person really as much. I don't know. But that's a good, that's an interesting point. But in the tree just always calls him like Connor O'Malley, like all Mm -hmm. the time, like his full name. And even the bully does. And, And there is a connection made between Connor because he feels invisible. Yeah. He kind of, to some extent, I think, likes the bully mm-hmm. in terms of being at least someone's noticing him and acknowledging him. Yeah. And kind of, I don't know, like Connor feels like maybe self abusive in a way. And that's kind of a way of having it taken out, but just being acknowledged, I think, by someone. Yeah. Recognized as a person, mm-hmm. even if it, you're being beat up. <laughs> yeah. He's still being recognized as a person. You know, he's not really calling him names. Just beating him up. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think especially with his dad calling him those, you know, nicknames and mm-hmm. kind of trying to like treat him like, oh, you know, my my young son here, you know, and he <laughs> might. And I think maybe his anger at his dad might be coming through too, being like, you don't get to call me champ. Like you only visit like once a year or so. <laughs> I like at one point Connor's like, you talk like American television now. <laughs> I, I thought that was a great line. Yeah. Should we move on to the second story? Yeah. Second tale. Yes. So the tree shows up again. I don't think we've talked about this yet, but he shows up at uh, 12.07. Yes. Every, every time. Every night it's at uh, 12.07. Mm-hmm. And I love how they play with this in the story and the expectations. So this scene starts off with, uh, after Connor has a fight with his dad, he goes into the sitting room of his grandma's house Mm -hmm. and he sees this old clock, uh, that she loves. And so he goes up to, and he grabs the pendulum and stops it from moving. Mm -hmm. And then he like opens the face of it and starts like twisting the hands to like, and like you can hear it clicking and grinding and like snapping inside. And he like just does it until it basically snaps off but he looks and he's accidentally uh, shifted it to 1207. Yeah. And so who shows up but the monster? Yeah, I did like that. It was cool. Yeah, the way they kind of, and they play with this at other points too. But so now the monster's there mm-hmm. uh, in the house like the, in the evening and it's just Connor. And the monster says he's shown up to tell the second tale. Mm-hmm. And so Connor agrees. He's like, okay, just, just tell me this. Uh, <laughs> tell me the story. I have bigger fish to fry right now, but whatever. So. The monster tells him a new tale. And once again, uh, the yew tree is involved because they all kind of take place around uh, the tree, around the tree. Mm -hmm. And so this is at a time when uh, the industrial revolution is kind of happening and like uh, factories and things are springing up. And it's about uh, an apothecary or what this old man who creates remedies who they call the apothecary Mm -hmm. and this priest. Or what, what do they call him? I wasn't familiar with the term. It's not a pastor or a... Um, Adina's going to look it up for me because <laughs> I hadn't heard it before. Uh, but basically a priest. And the priest and the, the apothecary is kind of clashing. And... Uh, the parson. The parson. Thank you. <laughs> Have you heard that before? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not familiar with that term, so I wasn't sure, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, so the story is kind of about the, the, the apothecary and the parson, and essentially the, the parson's children get sick, Yeah. and the parson had been kind of shitting on the, the apothecary, telling his uh, congregation not to go to him and all this stuff, Yeah. but when his girls are sick and nothing helps, he goes to the apothecary, and... 
the apothecary's like, mm, I'm not sure I'm going to help you. You've been kind of a dick to me. Yeah. And the apothecary had wanted to cut down the yew tree before because he says it has healing properties. Mm-hmm. And if he chops it down, he can use its healing properties to help a lot of people. Yeah. And so the parson is like, take the yew tree, take whatever you need. Yeah, like, I'll preach sermons in your favor, whatever you want, I'll yeah. do it. And, uh, yeah, and then the apothecary Carrie kind of refuses to help him, and he's like, if you would give up everything and, like, even everything that you believe in, then I can't help you. And it's really, it's a very interesting tale because I'm honestly not sure how I feel about it either. Yeah. The the monster comes uh, awake, and he destroys the parson's house, and the parson's daughters die because they don't have anyone to treat them. And, you know... Connor's confused and he's like, why aren't you punishing the apothecary for not helping his daughters? And the monster is kind of like, I wouldn't have cared if they cut down the yew tree. Like, that's fine. You know, he wanted to help people. And even though the apothecary was kind of like a dick to people, he did want to heal and help. But then the parson, you know, was ready to compromise his own beliefs and like preach sermons in the apothecary's favor and completely flip on like everything that he stood for and believed in. So I had to like punish that. Yeah, he said like the parson was, he he was faithful until times got tough. Mm -hmm. And then he no longer believed in anything that he had preached before. Yeah. And he talked about how um, believing in, the remedy or the cure mm-hmm. uh, of the sickness is like half of healing yeah. is the belief in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's, it's a very complicated story in a lot of ways Yeah, because the parson was, you know, he wasn't a bad guy and you can relate to him. Yeah. In he terms just wanted of, to save his children. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. I, I'm with you. I kind of almost don't know how I feel about it, but I love that. I re- I, yeah. I love it's so this, ambiguous. Yeah. I love the story for that, that I don't know how I feel. Yeah. And, and the tree's interesting. I'm sorry. I keep calling him the tree. I should, the monster. <laughs> <laughs> the, the monster's interesting take on it that like it was all about faith and his lack of faith mm-hmm. was kind of what brought the monster coming to destroy his house. Yeah. And while the tree starts destroying the the Parsons house, he's like, Connor, join in with me. And so Connor's (laughs) like, sure, let's destroy stuff. And then Connor like kind of comes to himself like a few minutes later and he's just like ripped the room to shreds. Yeah. Like the furniture, like plates, glass, like the clock, everything in that room is just destroyed. Yeah, and he's like, oh, and and of course the tree's out. He's gone. Yeah, he's like, bye. The, <laughs> the monster's like, peace. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and yeah, Connor's just destroyed like every inch of this sitting room mm-hmm. and just everything like this. The grandmother loved so much. Yeah, and sure enough, she shows up in this moment and walks in. And is just like speechless. Yeah. And in the book, she screams. Yeah. Uh, and I love it because in the book and the movie, she like the only remaining piece of furniture that hasn't been smashed. She just walks up to it and like throws it on the ground and just like knocks it over. Yeah. And just starts screaming and then kind of goes upstairs in her room and Connor can hear her crying. And he, he just like doesn't know what to do because he's like, I'm sorry, like, I'm sorry, but like he can't almost can't even believe that he did it. And he's angry too it's just like this really interesting and really great scene i I love the 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 transition though from the story into the in both the book and the movie Mm -hmm. where he's destroying the house and he gets connor to join in yeah and he's kind of like 
it makes you feel good. Like do it. Like yeah. it's it's rewarding and fun. Like, and I think that's it, so important in a lot of ways to like the grief Connor's experiencing. Yeah. Uh, over his mother being sick, mm-hmm. and to have some kind of outlet for it, even though it's horrible and he like destroyed everything, it's like it makes sense and you understand. Yeah, it's not. It wasn't like the healthiest way of expressing it, but yeah. like he needed to express it yeah. because he wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was uh, really uh, a great scene. And I love the smash cut in the movie yeah. of him smashing windows with a tree branch to just kind of this weirdly, it smash cuts to this weirdly quiet room of him just hitting a piece of furniture with a stick. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's very jarring and almost funny, mm-hmm. but just super effective. Yeah, I actually kind of laughed when it you did. when it transitioned. I, I was like, "Oh, it's funny. He's just like beating this piece of furniture like to death." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so um, his mom is gonna get this like last ditch effort for treatment because she's not doing well in the hospital. And she tells him that it's actually a treatment um, from yew trees because they do have healing properties. And um, so Connor almost feels like it's from a yew tree. Maybe it's the monster that's been coming to me. Maybe he's going to heal my mom. Like maybe that's yeah. the point of all this. Mm-hmm. And and the mom kind of had a connection to this yew tree. She would always talk about it. Yeah. And so it seemed very full circle. To yeah. Kind of to Connor like this is what it's all meant for mm-hmm. uh, so he he has a lot of faith in this treatment even though his dad doesn't and his grandma doesn't and you as the audience can kind of see the writing on the wall yeah that like this is a last ditch effort mm-hmm. uh, to save her but also you're not certain because of everything that's going on with Connor yeah you know is there some kind of something fantastical going on is this all just a metaphorical turmoil that's going on in his head you're not sure mm-hmm. so there is still hope i think as a, as the reader yeah especially with the story. connection with the monster yeah yeah mm-hmm. so yeah and then things continue to disintegrate at school um as his mom gets worse and worse um teachers start letting like ignore not ignoring him but like just letting him do whatever he wants more and more and like not making him turn in homework and not calling on him in class and sort of just like Um, letting things slide with him. And then, so he's starting to feel more and more invisible. And then there's this point where um, Harry shows up and Connor thinks they're going to bully him again. And instead, Harry basically says, I know what you want and you kind of want me to bully you. So I'm not going to do that anymore. And he shakes his hand and says, you're now invisible to me. And he walks away. (laughs) And this is what we were talking about when we were like. He's like a sociopath. He's like a sociopath. He's like extremely. Creepy. Like he's really going for like the psychological like trauma of this boy who whose mother's dying. Yeah. Yeah. This is terrible. So he says this to Connor and is walking away. And I like the setting of the book a little bit more just because they're both in cafeterias. Yeah. The movie, the cafeteria has, like, cleared out pretty much. But in the uh, the book, it's, like, full of kids. Yeah. And Harry says this and is walking away. And I love in the movie, uh, there, there's this shot of Connor as he's watching Harry walk away. And we get this kind of tilt mm-hmm. shot where the camera kind of, like, pans up and you see past Connor this large digital clock in the gymnasium 
and suddenly it turning from 12.06 to 12.07. Yeah. It's in it's the so after- good. It's in the afternoon now, yeah. so you weren't really thinking about it, yeah. but it's so great. You're like, <gasps> 12.07. 12.07. And sure enough, like you see the growing shadow of the monster behind Connor. And he's there for the third tale Mm -hmm. and arguably his shortest story. Yeah, it's a very short story. (laughs) He's just like, there was a man who was invisible, not really invisible, but he felt invisible because people treated him that way. And one day he decided that he didn't want to be invisible anymore. And Connor's like, how do you do that? And he's like, he made himself seen. And he called for a monster. (laughs) And then... At this point, Connor just starts, like, running after Harry and, like, screaming at him. And then he uh, proceeds to beat the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> he And I love in the book it's describing, uh, it's like the monster's fists, but it's his fists. Yeah. And, like, he feels this strength from the monster that, like, isn't his. Yeah. Uh, in, in the movie, he just punches him a lot in the head. Yeah. Uh, in the book... He breaks his arm. And his nose. And they talk about him just, like, smashing his head off the floor. Yeah. And, like, he had to go to the hospital. Yeah. And I'm like, he... Oh, my God. He really fucks him up in the book. Yeah, it's insane. Um, and But this is another situation where Connor is, as he's beating him up, he's screaming. Um, what is he screaming? Like, I want... I'm not, I'm not invisible. invisible. I'm not invisible. Can you see me? Yeah, something like that. Like, I, I'm... I want to be seen. I'm not invisible. And, and also in the book, Harry is still like doubling down on it as Connor's like pushing him down. And he's like, nobody sees you. Like, you're yeah. not like, he's just like, like, dude, you got to read the writing on the <laughs> yeah. wall. that You're about to get your ass kicked. <laughs> Connor has reached his breaking point. <laughs> um, I, I kind of want to talk briefly, though, about the special effects in this movie. Yeah. They are so good they are really good they are top notch the monster looks fantastic one of my favorite parts is the first scene when the monster comes to life oh and it transitions from the tree to the tree monster it's so cool i love Mm -hmm. it so much and there's like almost like fire coursing through it like making it come alive his like like deep in him like there's a fire that like with embers and stuff like hot Mm -hmm. I, i really liked that visual aspect to him in the movie yeah i'm just i i wanted to talk about him now because the scene where connor charges at harry across the cafeteria yeah uh they the monster is right behind him like out in all fours and he's like crawling knocking tables over in this like huge like rush at harry like behind a connor and visually it's just it's so good it's so good and nothing in this movie was um in terms of cgi like noticeably off or bad no no I really want to know, I wish I knew more about movie budgets, <laughs> Yeah, because I don't really, mm-hmm. and maybe I should start looking into that more, because I really want to know what the budget for this movie was. Because they did an amazing job they with did. the amount of money, whatever it was. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, I, I it's kind of ironic, because we were talking about this last episode with Stardust, Yeah, which was a movie that only came out 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, that had a lot of CGI, and... I don't know, but I would bet a similar budget. Yeah. Uh, But it just, it was very distracting and not good in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. And just in 10 years, uh, you know, CGI's obviously gotten better and better and better. But I think more importantly, it's become more accessible to movies. Because now we have a movie that is about, what it's really about is a kid uh, grieving and like this really emotional family drama yeah. and like this sad 
you know, family story. And then there's a giant tree monster that yeah. they ant- CGI into And we into can it. have that. And we can have that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was another movie that came out this year, Colossal. Yeah. That was about um, a, a woman going back to her hometown and, like, dealing with alcoholism mm-hmm. and, like, a bad relationship. And also a giant monster destroying Tokyo. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, not uh, South Korea. Uh-huh. But we're, we're getting a really interesting... Um, mix of indie films with good CGI. Really that's, good CGI. That's story focused. It's it's always there to enhance the story. It's, it's, yeah, it's not like some epic fantasy world with all this crazy CGI. You know, it's just mixing it. Yeah. So I I just I, I was thinking about that with this movie and especially compared to Stardust and I, I don't know. We're in a really interesting time of of CGI because I love seeing it in the hands of smaller independent filmmakers and how they use it Mm -hmm. and the judgment that they use in it Mm -hmm. and how well that it fits into the story yeah Yeah. but between the animation of the tales that are told and the cgi of the monster it's and there's other cgi moments later in the movie that are really really uh well done and very effective Mm -hmm. so i it gets top marks in my for book effects, for yeah. effects like which and is just surprising the Im- imagery too like it's a very beautiful movie like the way it's shot and like yeah. the tree and and the tails and uh just the sky and like kind of the outside feel in a lot yeah of scenes. it's a lot of um handheld shots yeah. and a lot of shots from connor's perspective and like from the ground at the monster mm-hmm. and yeah they don't overdo it with like I don't know, CGI camera spinning around stuff, yeah. you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like Transformers crap. But yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's been this has been Ian's CGI corner analysis. Uh, tune in next episode where I discuss a David Fincher removing the mole from a person's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so Connor beats the shit out of Harry, and then he's in the principal's office, and Mm. she kind of is explaining to him, like, I can't believe that you did this, he's in the hospital now, and she's like, you know, we have to expel you, and it's interesting, because in the book, they literally say that Connor is, like, instantly relieved. Yeah. He's like, oh, good, finally, like, someone is gonna, like, give me the punishment that I deserve because I'm a shitty person. Mm-hmm. And then the the principal is like, but how could I do that with everything that's <laughs> happening to you? She's like, uh, we'll talk about this at some point, but now is not the time. And Connor's just like, you're not going to punish me? I don't understand. And the principal says, what could possibly be the point? And it's the exact wording his dad used yeah. when he didn't punish him for destroying his grandma's sitting room. Yeah. And I love this because you know that Connor is having all this guilt and he wants to kind of be punished. Like he wants to to be hurt almost by other people, first by Harry. And then he wants, you know, his dad and his grandma to punish him and then the administration as well. But it's more than that, too, because he also wants to just be treated normally. Yeah, that's more what I took it as the first read through yeah. uh, was that he just wants some normalcy. He wants to be able to like fuck up and then have and to, to be punished be for, consequences it. for yeah, it yeah yeah he doesn't want this special treatment because this special treatment basically means that his life is screwed up it continues to single him out yeah and it continues to emphasize to him too that 
you know, what could be the point of punishing you now when there's so much horrible crap going on in your life and it's just going to get worse for you? So it's almost like reminding him how horrible his life is where he might just want to, you know, he's trying to forget it and trying to like deny what's happening with his mom. And then everyone around him is basically being like, no, remember how your mom is dying? Like, remember that? (laughs) (laughs) Did you forget? (laughs) So I really liked that and his struggle with that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Oh my, I I keep having to pull it up because I'm not familiar with him as an actor yet. But Lewis McDougal, yeah, Lewis McDougal, who plays Connor, oh my God, he's so good. He's so good. Yeah, he's so good. Even just the first scene where he's having the nightmare and he wakes up and he's just crying and he's yeah. like shaking and it's so real and raw feeling and it's such a great scene and a reaction for him to have. Like you really feel what's going on with him and how scared he is. And it just, it's done so well. Yeah. And the scene when he's sitting with the principal and she doesn't punish him. Yeah. Like the look on his face is just so like, he just looks so tired Yeah, and just in disbelief and at like the end of his rope. And for like a 12 year old kid to like convey that so well in a look was just, I'm like, this kid's so freaking good. Yeah. He's so talented. Yeah. And you just really feel for him the whole Mm -hmm. movie, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's phenomenal. Uh, So he goes back to class and quickly gets pulled out of class uh, by uh, a, uh, the office secretary. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Because, he has to go to the hospital. Yeah. And he knows, like, this isn't... He, he, his mom's been in the hospital before, and he's never been pulled out of school mm-hmm. and taken there before. So he goes to the hospital, and he, his grandmother tells him, uh, your mom wants to talk to you. She's she's waiting. Mm-hmm. So we get the emotional gut punch, I'm not crying, you're crying <laughs> scene of the movie. Oh, it's, it's intense. Um, Connor's mom... You know, you see it in the movie scene and it's described in the book that she looks so tired and she's trying to like smile for him and like make things be happy for him or kind of upbeat. But he can tell that she's just exhausted and she looks awful and it's sort of hitting home that like she's not getting better. Like, yeah. And he's really angry, which is really interesting. And I like that a lot. Uh, I know he's he's so mad because he's like. And he's shocked. He's like, the U-Tree treatment isn't working. Yeah. And she's like, no. And he's like, how can it not be working? I don't get it. And he feels betrayed, I think. Yeah. Because he's like, isn't this why the monster came? Like, isn't this why all of this is happening? And he feels angry at her. And he's almost like, you, didn't you believe that this would work? Like, all this time, you've always been so upbeat and trying to be positive for me. But, like, it's all been a lie, almost. Like, you've been saying that you'll get better and things will get better, but they haven't, and now they're not. You know, there's no more treatments, is what she tells him, and there's nothing more they can do. Mm -hmm. And Felicity Jones, who plays Connor's mom in this movie, is so good. Yeah. Like, all the performances (laughs) in this movie, I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And she just... and, And, you know... All of her lines are so good, and they're effective emotionally, and they're not... For me, so a lot of the critics... This is 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the Rotten reviews and some of the problems people had were... They said it's kind of 
too uh, not sappy, but like it's all kind of a real emotional gut check, like yeah. throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And this scene, I'm sure too is, but for me, what she's saying is so different. Uh, from other movies I've seen yeah. in this scene. And, and then like, like a, a last talk dying scene. You know, she's not yeah. dying, but it's almost like they're f- having this talk together almost for the last time, you Cause, know? Because at one point, Connor's just not saying anything. He's just looking at the ground. You can tell he's mad. She's like, listen, I want you to know that if you look back on this day and you're upset that you didn't talk to me because you were too angry, that's okay. Like, don't feel bad about that yeah like please like it's okay that you're angry she's like i'm angry Mm -hmm. and she says if you need to smash stuff then do it like break everything you need to yeah like whatever you need to get through this Mm -hmm. and it just she just her like reaching uh, out to him yeah reaching out to him and validating the way he feels and his anger yeah and it's so effective and so different than other scenes like this I've seen in movies before and what it's saying especially about acknowledging the complicated feelings of a child exactly going through this it Mm -hmm. was it it was such a good scene and I feel like there's a lot of references or like books or movies or stuff about you know kind of a regret over not being able to like say what you wanted before someone died yeah you know or like being kind of annoyed at them or Basically not taking advantage of that moment. Like, oh, the last thing I ever said to them was this, and I can't believe that. Yeah, or I was kind of, like, pissed off at them, or I should have said that I cared about them more. And then here's this moment where the mom is saying, like, I already know everything that you could want to say to me. Like, I already know, and, like, I understand, and it's okay. It's just so, it's so good. It's so good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wish I could Uh, explain it better. Just read it. I was honestly... (laughs) like from this point to the end of the book reading it just near tears like the entire time because it's so emotional and in a I think in a deserved way yeah I think I think certain critics and stuff would argue that maybe it's too emotional too emotional um Mm -hmm. I thought it was earned though I thought the movie handled it really well and the book especially especially addressing like being angry yeah and not knowing how to deal with that and not knowing how to not be angry. Because I'm sure part of Connor is angry at his mother. You know, like he's angry at her for dying and for pretending that things were going to be okay or for not admitting that things were going badly for a long time. And he's angry at himself for being angry at his mother. It's just like it, there's so yeah. much complicated yeah. emotions going on. And I feel like this captures that where a lot of other versions of this are, are very different mm-hmm. in that. So Connor, upon hearing this news, uh, goes back home to his actual house. Yeah. Uh, in the book, his grandmother drives him. In the movie, he runs there. Uh, but he goes back to his house, and then he goes to the yew tree that's way back in the uh, on the cemetery hill. Mm-hmm. And he starts kicking the tree, demanding that he, he wake up. It's not 12.07, but he doesn't care. Yeah. And so the yew tree uh, turns, in, turns into the monster. Yeah. And... They begin this, uh, you know, confrontation where Connor's pissed because uh, the medicine that came from a yew tree didn't help. And the uh, the monster's like, I said if she could be cured, that it would cure her. But she obviously can't be. Yeah. And he's like, well, if you didn't come here to cure her, why did you come? Like, why mm-hmm. did I apparently call you? And he's like, to, to help you. Yeah, I'm here to heal you. To heal you. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then this is where the monster kind of brings him to, he's like, it's time for you to tell me the tale, your tale, the fourth tale, your truth. And then they find themselves in Connor's nightmare. And, you know, his mom's ahead of him. He's yelling at her to get out of the way. And then like a sinkhole kind of opens up and the ground is moving and shaking and he's running towards her, trying to stop her from falling. And then he catches her hand and they're like, she's slipping from his grasp. It's like really intense scene. It goes on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and in the book, there's kind of like this other monster. Down below. That's in this pit, mm-hmm. like a monster of like smoke and ash. And it's like pulling on his mom. Yeah. And he's holding on. And I thought this was uh, effective because we get hints about this nightmare throughout the book and mm-hmm. movie of him holding on and then hands slipping from his hands. Yeah. And you know it's intense. And you get the gist. His mom. It's, it's, it fa- it's she her. Falls, yeah. yeah, it's his mom and she falls. And, and it's like, a metaphor for her dying, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's holding on to her and the monster's behind him. And in the movie, they get rid of that second monster that's pulling on yeah. her. And I mm-hmm. think that works mm-hmm. fine. But the tree's like, you have to tell me your truth you have to tell me the truth mm-hmm. and so connor eventually he his mom he he drops her yeah the grip his grip goes and she falls and the monster is like you let her fall or you let go mm-hmm. it's like no i didn't she slipped she slipped you know i couldn't hold on any longer and he's like you let her go and then finally connor like screams and he's just like i want it to be over yeah and I thought this was so effective because you assume, okay, he has to reconcile with her dying. That's what it's all about. But yeah. really it's his emotions and guilt over kind of wanting her to be to die Yeah, because she's been sick for so long. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I never knew when she was going to die and she was in the hospital and I had to take care of her. And there were so many things that in some part of him deep down – wanted it to just be over even if that meant her dying Mm -hmm. and just wanted his isolation and his torment and this agony of watching her slowly slowly get worse and worse he just wanted that to be over and to end yeah and so this was like the guilt he's been dealing with like this is what he's been kind of seeking punishment for and Mm -hmm. what he like has been struggling with so much and this is when the monster kind of tells him like, it's okay to feel this way. Yeah. And just saying it and talking about it isn't bad. Yeah. And it's not it bad to feel that it. doesn't mean that that's what you want. Like, you don't want her to be dead. Yeah. Like, you just wanted part of this horror to be over. And it's so interesting because he ties it back into, like, the stories that he's told Connor. Like, people are so complicated. Like, someone could seem evil and then turn out to be not that bad and like everyone has all these thoughts and feelings but it doesn't really matter what you yeah. think or say it matters what you do a prince can be a murderer and then a good king for years yeah and an apothecary can be kind of a dick his whole life but be can be wrong in how he treats people but right in his ideas yeah and and the, yeah curing people and helping people. yeah and he's just like it's complicated and kind of contradictory and it's confusing but that's okay because that's how people are and you just have to like come to terms with that and you have to 
speak the truth and not bury this inside of you. So it creates this guilt machine that gives you these terrifying <laughs> nightmares and then causes you to seek out a bully so that he'll punch you in the face. And yeah. You can feel like the some of the guilt is being lessened. He's like, this is not a good scenario, Connor. This is why I had to come out of my tree form and find you. <laughs> I know it took a giant talking tree monster to, to really bring this home, but... But yeah. the point is so it is it's such an interesting point. It kind of goes in a direction that you're not really expecting for this nightmare and for this truth that Connor won't even admit to himself. I liked it. Yeah, it was I don't know. I think it has so many good things to say about mental health and grieving and like dealing with trauma. Yeah, and having someone to talk to even. Like Connor yeah. has no one to talk to. No wonder he's internalized so much of this. Yeah, no kidding. Like he has no one he can go to cuz everyone treats him weird and mm-hmm. you know, uh doesn't isn't punish there for him. him. Doesn't punish him for beating the living shit out of another kid. You're like there should be consequences to that. <laughs> like you should do something. Even I'm for that a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, uh it was just yeah, incredibly, incredibly impactful, mm-hmm. uh, especially reading it. And I mean, I read the story before I saw the movie, so, but for me, the the, the writing was so good and the story oh, yeah. was so good and just, uh the I'm not crying, you're crying <laughs> book of the year. Oh, it's so, so intense. And then Connor is kind of exhausted by this and just like falls asleep with the tree. It's really cute. The, tree, the, the, <laughs> the monster's so nice to him. I know. He's like, okay, you finally admitted it. Now, like, nestle in my tree arms and I'll be here for you. (laughs) Yeah. And then Connor's grandmother is frantically looking for him. She finds him and they have this mad dash to the hospital. And she's basically like, we have to go now. And Connor knows immediately that his mother is in in her last moments and they're kind of rushing to the hospital to be there. Yeah. But Connor gets a really good moment with his grandma. Yeah. Where she's kind of like, I know we're different people. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't fit together easily. Uh, but she says, we do have one thing in common, and that's your mom. Yeah. And, and she's, like, the most imp- important thing in their lives. Yeah. And that that's, like, what will bring them together. And it's really sad. It's so touching. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I, I I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. And so they get to the hospital, and Connor and his grandma join her mom in bed. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're just kind of with her in these last moments, and the, and the monster's there behind Connor. Yeah. And he just tells him, he's like, you just have to tell her the truth, and that's it. And Connor tells her, I don't want you to go. Yeah. And I love that Connor's truth is two different things at the same time. Yeah. So Connor's truth is, I want it to be over. And then the second truth is, I don't want you to go. Yeah. And it's like, in each moment, he's speaking absolute truth. Um, But they're both different things. And I just love that because, yes, it was the truth that he wanted it to be over. But more importantly, in faced in a situation where his mom is right there and he has to say to her what's really in his heart, you know, what is true to him then is... I I don't want you to go. Yeah. It's it's so good. (laughs) So touching. So good. And there's a scene earlier on when uh, the monster visits him. And as he's leaving, uh, Connor asks him, why do you come at 1207 every night? Yeah. But he doesn't answer. He just keeps walking. Mm -hmm. And we find out in this moment that 1207 is when his mom passes away. Yeah. And he realizes it. uh, And it was just, that was such a 
good payoff yeah. for that setup of like. Because you don't even think about it at first. No. And then you're like, oh. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that, the payoff of that too. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is where the book ends. Yeah. And then the movie, we get another scene. Yeah. Which the movie is incredibly faithful to the book. Very faithful, which uh, is probably due to Patrick Ness actually writing the screenplay. Yeah. So I was very, like, thrown off when it fades to black and then fades to the interior of the grandma's house to a new scene. I'm like, what? Yeah. And, like, my mind immediately jumps to, like, the end credits scene of a movie, like an Avengers yeah. set up, you know? I'm like, what's going to happen? <laughs> what's the what, sequel? <laughs> what else are we, what, what else is there to do or say, you know? Uh, so we discover that Connor's grandmother, they come home and she had prepared a room for him to actually be his, like, bedroom to live in. Yeah. And it was his mother's old room. Mm-hmm. Which they had hinted at before. It was this locked room that Connor tried to look through the keyhole of. And yeah. Y- you can kind of figure out that it's his mom's old room, but... So now it's his bedroom. Yeah. And, and there's a her, like, big writer... Or... Uh, I almost said writer's desk. <laughs> her uh, artist desk. Yeah. Because she's an artist in the movie, which is an interesting difference um, between yeah. the book and the movie. Um, in the movie, Connor and his mom both draw and are artists. And this it's this sort of really cool connection that they have to each other. Yeah. Um, and You see a home movie of them at one point when she's showing him to him, draw. And- yeah, how to draw. And it's really sweet. And I like that... And this is another way for the movie to, like, kind of call back to the illustrations in the yeah. book. Because Connor is drawing, and there's, you know, drawings from his mom. And it, it's really, I liked that a lot. And I did like that they gave some depth to Connor. Mm-hmm. Like, kind of him, him having an interest. Yeah. Um, something going on in his life besides his mom dying. Like, he, you know, is drawing in his... Uh, class books. A healthy and, creative outlet. Yeah, and he, he's drawing like little monsters in his sketchbooks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So he finds a, a book on the desk yeah. that was his mother's, and it's like a watercolor uh, notebook that he starts going through. And I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know either. It I, almost like implies that the mom knew the monster. Like there's pictures of her... With the monster. And there's pictures of characters from the stories the monster told. Yeah. And then the, the last one is uh, a drawing of a girl who you expect, uh, imagine is the mom uh, with the monster. Yeah, like riding on his shoulder. And I'm and, like, what? I, I did not like this scene. No, and I, I was like, what is this supposed to mean? Like, yeah, what are you implying? Is the monster like a spirit of like her father coming back? Like, Is Liam Neeson <laughs> once again voicing a CGI incarnation of God? <laughs> yeah, is he like this mythic beast that's like here to like, is he death itself? I mean, yeah, you get, you, you get, you know early on that he's like, I am older than the land. and Yeah, he, mythic creature. Yeah, he's very mythical in that sense. But mm-hmm. this is almost making it seem like he's God, God or, or, so, death like death or, or something. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> but, yeah, I don't... It just was seemingly implying something. It was, seemed like it implied something that I don't know exactly what it was implying. <laughs> no. Like, Connor seemed to know because he was like... <gasps> but I'm like, I don't... And that's the what? end. Yeah, yeah, and then that's where the movie ends. I'm like, what? And it spends a lot of time looking at these sketches and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I, just, I, I don't know either. I just thought it should have ended where the book ended. I think it should have. I mean, it was sweet 
the moment of him getting that room and it being his mom's and that kind of connection. Yeah. I guess it was just the sketchbook part. That I was like, why are we seeing this? Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the monster will return in the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so there's one part that I didn't we didn't talk about, um, and it was an extra scene that was in the movie that wasn't in the book that mm-hmm. I liked, and it's this part where um, Connor and his dad are kind of cleaning up in the sitting room after oh, Connor's yeah. destroyed everything, and Connor and his dad sort of have a conversation about before his dad left for America and stuff, and his dad kind of starts talking about how like they split up because they were so young when they got married and they had Connor and they sort of didn't know what they were doing. And that's why things didn't work out for them. And he talks about how, um, Connor's mom wanted to go to art school, but then she got pregnant with Connor and didn't end up doing it. Um, but it was kind of interesting. And he talked about how they were happy and they were in love, but like things just didn't work out and there was no real resentment in that. It was just like the way things happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the few happy moments in the yeah. movie. Cause Connor likes hearing about his mom and like her interests and, and stuff their like life that. together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for a kind of a downer of a movie like this, it was nice to have a, a somewhat happier moment. Mm-hmm. So, so which is better Oh, this one is really tough. Yeah. Actually. Um, They're very close, especially um, because Patrick Ness wrote the screenplay. So the movie is so faithful. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like the dialogue is ripped straight from the book. Mm -hmm. Everything, you know, it's almost scene by scene. There's a couple extra scenes and things going on and that extra scene at the end. But besides that, it's almost exactly the same. And the Lily part being removed. Yeah. But like, besides that, like that was the only noticeable absence. Difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So uh, I, I would say I can't decide that they're even um, because the movie just so effectively recreates the story and the performances yeah. are just top notch and mm-hmm. the CGI is really effective and the cinematography it's and true. the special effects of like in the nightmare with the pit opening and the yeah. graveyard. Like that was phenomenal. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I have to sneeze. <laughs> Bless you. <coughs> Bless you. I'm trying to edit that out maybe. <laughs> but um, so my inclination is to say they're even that yeah. I don't necessarily like one more than the other. But with that being said, if I have to choose, I guess I'll say the book. Yeah. Maybe, just, maybe the ending sort of edges out the movie a bit. Just a bit. I mean, it is kind of ending the movie on a note that I don't quite I'm not, like as much. I'm not crazy for. Yeah. Um, and also the book just emotionally got to me more. Yeah. But then again, I I read it first, so. Yeah. I, I wish I could experience both first individually. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause, yeah, like have your memory wiped from the book. Yeah. And then watch the movie and then have the memory put back in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's tough to say, but I, I guess if I have to say, I'll say book, but... Uh, it's very close yeah. for me. Yeah. I would also say book, I think, just because the writing is so strong, and I love that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the ending of the movie is a little like, eh, I don't know. But they are, they're so close. So well, my recommendation is to do the combo. <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong. They're both, and you know, they're, it's a great story. 
told effectively in two different mediums. Yeah. And it's tough to go wrong with either of them. And that's great. That's like what we love to see. Yeah. Is something working in the book form and then working just as well in the movie form. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's do lightning round. Lightning round. Okay, so for the first lightning round moment, this was such a weird, <laughs> like, random IMDb. <laughs> there aren't a lot of good um, IMDb facts on this one, but one is that this director also did a movie called The Impossible, I believe it is, about a family surviving, like, a tsunami in Thailand. Uh, but Tom Holland was in that movie, who is the new uh, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for this movie, one of the IMDb facts was that Tom Holland stood in for the CGI monster on set. Oh my god! During filming, <laughs> and there's a special thank you to him in in the credits. But like, I know they do that. Like, yeah. they'll have someone stand in there so you have like a reference to look at or like a marker or something. Mm-hmm. But Tom Holland, like, why Tom <laughs> Holland? He's like such. He's so young, and he's like. His I'm, voice is so squeaky. I'm the monster. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm the monster. I'm, I'm just going to tell you a story over here. I don't. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm Liam Neeson, the monster. I'm, I'm, a, big, I'm a big twig man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I just thought that was... It's. I hope there's photos. I hope he was, like, in a, a late... Like, one of those, like, um, spandex suits oh, with, like, yeah. um, the monster's head on top of his. <laughs> They'll do that sometimes to make yeah. it taller. I hope there's... I hope that exists. <laughs> So, okay, so another funny thing is we're watching the movie and it shows a bunch of like pictures of Connor's mom and like frames in uh, Connor's grandma's house. So he picks up one picture. It's of his mom when she, he, she's younger. And then he picks up another picture and it's Connor's mom and Connor's grandpa together. And I'm like, is that Liam Neeson? Is that is that Liam Neeson? And Ian's like, what? What are you talking about? I'm like, the the picture of like the girl and the dad, like, is that, that looked like Liam Neeson. And so we went back and looked at it and it's definitely Liam Neeson. It is. And then we looked it up and it, it is actually Liam Neeson. <laughs> if we couldn't believe our own eyes, it was Liam but Neeson. But I was like, yeah, I called that. Like I saw him from like a, sh- a certain amount of distance. I'm like, that's Liam Neeson. <laughs> and he shows up twice and Adina noticed twice and I didn't either time. So we had to go back and look, but. But that's also interesting. It's like, is the monster supposed to be her dad? Like, yeah. what is that? What is that? I is, don't know. Is that like a further connection? Yeah. Mm, mm. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So uh, this was one of the funnier parts of the book uh, that I really enjoyed that I'll read. Uh, so this is after the first story. Yeah. Uh, Connor looked up to his bedroom window frowning again. So the good prince was a murderer and the evil queen wasn't a witch after all. Is that supposed to be a lesson of all this? That I should be nice to her? He heard a strange rumbling, different from before, and it took him a minute to realize the monster was laughing. You think I tell you stories to teach you lessons? The monster said. You think I have walked out of time and the earth itself to teach you a lesson in niceness? <laughs> it laughed louder and louder again until the ground was shaking and it felt like the sky itself might tumble down. Yeah, all right, Connor said, embarrassed. <laughs> just, he's like, to teach you lessons in niceness? But I do love that because it goes back to like, how the stories are connected Applying. in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. not in a clear, distinct way. Yeah. It's not some cheesy metaphor. metaphor for him and his grandma specifically. It's 
looser and broader than that, but yeah, yeah. Did the tree just laughing in his face, <laughs> and Connor gets like embarrassed about it. It was really good. <laughs> so that does it for lightning round. There wasn't a whole lot to laugh at in this movie. Yeah, not a lot of fun tidbits in a story about a uh, young boy's mother dying of cancer. So <laughs> did you know the actor who played Connor O'Malley cried seventy three times for this one scene? <laughs> Did you know you could fill a swimming pool with the number of tears shed in this movie and from audience members? True fact. <laughs> movie facts. Okay. Yeah, thanks for listening to this episode. It was really great to do uh, this book and movie combo. Uh, definitely check it out. If you haven't heard about it, do it. It's great. Yeah, super worth it. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we are at Cover2Credits on Twitter. That's the number two. Find us on Facebook as well, and email us at covertocreditspod at gmail.com. Give us suggestions for other stories to do and adaptations to talk about, or Mm -hmm. give us feedback on ones we've already done. Uh, Stardust, which we did a week ago, was a a listener recommendation, and we really loved that. So uh, the more recommendations, the better. Also... Find us on Patreon. We're on Patreon We're now. We're on Patreon. Woo! So yeah, um, support us if you can at whatever level is good for you. If you support us at the $5 level, you'll be able to access our special after credits bonus episodes where we yes. just are going to talk about kind of randomly uh, movie and book news, sort of entertainment stuff. Things um, that we want to talk about. On but this, don't apply. But don't apply and we yeah. don't have time for. So it'll be a looser format, but I think you guys will really like it. And we'll definitely take requests for that too. So Absolutely. Hit us up. So uh, yeah, find us and support us on Patreon if you can. And if you can't, at least please find us on iTunes and give us a, a star rating because that helps a lot with our um, uh, ratings. Promotion. Promotions, yeah, mm-hmm. on, on iTunes. So... Uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this episode, and we will see you next episode. See you then. Bye. Bye.